0: Welcome back, friends. It's Money for Nothing, the podcast about music and capitalism, coming to you a little late this week. I'm sure you were all uh, salivating for our hot takes on the Super Bowl, so I apologize that uh, Sam and I failed to bring you any thoughts on Usher and company or the uh, budding romance between Taylor and Travis. But uh, regarding the Super Bowl show, I'll just give you one very late take that is just one phrase often heard. Chanted down in the capital of the uh, Peach State. ATL Ho. (laughs) (laughs) What? Dude, Jermaine Dupree. Dude, do you think that like five years ago, Jermaine Dupree ever thought that he'd be like in a Super Bowl? I mean, that's pretty. I mean, but you know, well, also, also, I have to bring this up before we start the topic. I have to bring up the like, the conspiracy theory that no one has brought up, which is this we showcase in our show about Scooter Braun that Jermaine dupree gave Scooter Braun his big break essentially by putting on like after show parties down in Atlanta mm-hmm. and Scooter Braun is also the one who has like well the major beef with Taylor Swift and like oh, won't sell her back her masters mm-hmm and so Dupree showing up to the Super Bowl while Taylor Swift is there I'm like yo there's like a there's like a 3 degree thing going on here that nobody mentioned
1: and and let's be real Justin Bieber signed close affiliate with Scooter Braun a major usher you know Usher's really involved in that story right ref, d- declined to appear
0: yeah he was that's right cuz cuz yeah he he didn't appear either yeah
1: cuz usher i mean usher wanted him who wouldn't want
0: yeah exactly i don't
1: what's this conspiracy though just that there was tension
0: well no just that you know there was a conspiracy that like taylor swift was like some sort of uh like psyop for biden which i'm like is it a psyop or is it just you're trying to get the approval of famous people which has always happened so i don't understand why it's a psyop but anyways i mean it is a psychological operation
1: in as much yeah it's an operation it's psychological um that's not a good conspiracy theory because there's no conspiracy. No, we, we, we've we've all established and that. And Saxon. Yeah. Yeah. More importantly, more importantly,
0: no theory. No, no theory. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, no. We no we've That's, established that. I would like, put if that you, at the level of an observation. Right, but if you're gonna go down that road, I'm like thinking to myself, I'm like, why is nobody mentioning the fact that Dupree's there at the same time? Because I mean, you know, Jermaine Dupree. All respect, it was a little surprising to see him. Uh, I mean, look. I was just
1: happy to see Little John get the the national stage. Absolutely. He's always yeah, no, deserved. and
0: like like I said, ATL, ATL just casually running shit by just doing ATL shit, like not even trying. Just like Little John's gonna come through, like in the crowd. Um, I think we <laughs> should cut this part because this is not the trenchant commentary that people no, want it's from us. Because because um, uh, moving on the the moving on though the the news has been a bit slow in the music industry headlines. So today. I wanted to talk about Eric Adams, the embattled mayor of New York City playing a little old political card trick with a little misdirection by his suing of TikTok. But no, no, you were like no, 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 we don't want to we don't want to talk about how TikTok's a bad influence on the kids. And you no, know, if, if anybody knows what's good and bad for the kids, it's Eric Adams as illustrated by his uh, his uh, PSA that he did I don't know some back in the early 2000s about how to find a gun and cocaine in your kid's bag. Which, if you haven't seen that, please go online and find that, people. <laughs> look, look! If
1: you aren't, if you aren't searching your kids, you know, do, do you know what your kids are carrying? Yeah, right? they're, they're Yeah, do you? It's nine are... o'clock. Do you know their supplier? Do you,
0: do, it's nine o'clock. Do you know what TikToks they're watching? Um, that now have no music. But um, anyways, uh, no, no, no. Sam wanted to do an episode on a different topic that he's been pushing probably for well over a year. And uh, God help us all it's an episode on the greatest rock band of the millennial generation, a band with over 160 billion streams, 10 songs clocking in at over a billion plays on Spotify. That's more than Taylor Swift or Bad Bunny, who have a measly five a piece, leaving Drake in the Dust with only three songs over a billion, a band with over 74 million albums sold. Making them one of the world's best-selling music artists of all time. Yes, it's Las Vegas' very own demon-fighting, ever-believing, radio-activating, thunder-causing, milk-toast-reform Mormon commercial-ready rockers. Imagine Dragons. We're doing it. We're doing an episode on Imagine Dragons. We're doing it. We're doing. I think I've threatened this before on the podcast.
1: Um, yeah, we are finally, ladies and gentlemen doing the Imagine Dragon episode, the episode about the rock band that could, the episode about the rock band that is without a question the most successful rock band in the last decade, decade and a half. Probably the only other band that's anywhere close to it, close to them in terms of, of sales over in the millennium, is Nickelback, in terms of hits and sales. Another, uh, embattled, another embattled,
0: embattled band. band.
1: Um, <laughs> but... Wait, 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 wait,
0: wait, wait. Since, since, since I mentioned Eric Adams as an embattled mayor and Nickelback as an embattled band, I think we need to take a quote from Eric Adams here where, you know, despite the hate of Nickelback, they've clearly done what Eric Adams has always said, which is make the haters be the waiters at the table of success. And that's <laughs> remarkably true of both Nickelback
1: and Imagine Dragons. But, but, and this is a fascinating thing that we're going to, I think the central enigma of Imagine Dragons that we're going to be talking about today. People, rightly or wrongly, hate Nickelback. <laughs> Don't say it. I know Famously. you like them. <laughs> no, <I'm just>
0: <laughs>
1: Look, I think that they've got at least two killer songs. Killer songs. Okay. This is How You Remind Me or whatever. It's, I don't actually know the name of that song. Um, and Big Rock Stars, which is a funny song that would have been a country hit in 2014 but was an alt-rock smash. Also, that song where they get Billy Gibbons on the track just being like, tell
0: me what you want.
1: That's a great song, man. Billy
0: Gibbons from ZZ Top, for those who don't know. Billy
1: Billy Gibbons from the great, not late, the great Texas rock band ZZ Top. RIP to their drummer. Um Whose last name is beard and is the only one in the band who did not have a, a long beard um <laughs> no but unlike nickelback where there was a lot of critical discourse about nickelback imagine dragons have done something remarkable which is been without a qu- like the chart-topping record-stomping success of a decade while eliciting almost no critical engagement of any kind the number of like they get two-star reviews in like the guardian and rolling stone and then like nothing like there's not like people and then sell billions of albums (laughs) (laughs) there was a famous takedown of kind of uh uh Michigan area uh, uh retro rockers, Greta Van Fleet right. and Pitchfork. Right. This long like vituperative takedown. Right. Um similarly, there's been like long vituperative takedowns of like post Malone, which are you know, like similarly um positioned white dudes. <laughs> Basically it's a similarity there. Um you know, like who are really like playing for the the like the Bud Light swilling masses <laughs> from this, like, critical perspective, right? Right. And I think it's very easy to, like, rain down Invective on the bands that are, like, producing hits that are enormous in certain corners of the music listening public. But Imagine Dragons, nothing. Zip, zip, zilch, zero. Like, there's no coverage of this band, which actually made, in this weird roundabout way, researching this episode difficult because often, letting you into into our newsroom process, often... We read other people's opinions and research and that helps us formulate our own research. What? But there was none. So I had to, and this is the length I go to for science. I listened through the entire Imagine Dragons discography, including the first three EPs before their album. Cause that was the only way to get a real sense of what's going on in this band.
0: Yeah, no, I just like, yeah, it's such a good point. There was nothing like another thing that we nothing. another thing that we do is that oftentimes because of your academic status you have access to uh publications which i don't pay for and don't have access to and so you send me like a list of like you know 30 articles that you know i i could read through before uh before a show or whatever and like you you literally send me one article <laughs> one article from like the U- like USA today from 2018 that's like damn isn't this band popular <laughs> it was like, and it and it had like it did have some like really good like quotes like critical quotes like basically like talking shit on on them which i i i thought was you know it, it was like oh, okay yeah like makes sense but yeah really there was like absolutely like nothing other than and yeah. that I think that void is really important for this totally Um, because I think
1: imagine dragons have done a weird thing in that they are the biggest rock band in the rock mainstream at a time at which the rock mainstream has for all intents and purposes ceased to exist. And it ceased to exist in like a number of different ways, but at the same time is still clearly able, that listenership is still there. And so people are able to put up truly enormous numbers by appealing, I think, to the rock mainstream listenership. Um, But the rest of the cultural infrastructure has collapsed. And so talking a little bit about we're going to talk today uh, about a lot of stuff, but like about maybe a little bit why that collapsed, what that collapse looks like. How that changed the, the the specific set of aesthetic moves that Imagine Dragon did. How that reflects and connects to like rock's history as a genre and the potential of its continued evolution in the future. Um, and yeah, and what and what and what the history of Imagine Dragons can tell us about this weird post-genre playlisted age that we listen to.
0: Yeah, yeah, and like and like you know, it's funny because. Maybe um, if if you're familiar with any of their songs, you you might be out there being like, "Are they even rock?" <laughs> and it's like that's how they're categorized, but that also explains about- a lot as well. But like, yeah, when you listen to them, I'm like, this doesn't, this doesn't really. I mean, sometimes, but not really. <laughs> like, no, it's weird. Yeah. It's weird. It's it it it. And maybe like
1: you know, okay. So if you've not actually, and because it, it's totally possible that if you listen to this podcast. You've never actually sat down and intentionally and with, like, listening focus engaged with an Imagine Dragons track. Though you have almost certainly heard them many, many, many times. And so I do think it is worthwhile. Pause this podcast. Listen to the song. Listen to it. Listen to the song Radioactive. And then (laughs) come back for the rest of the discussion.
0: Because and the it, reason why we're not playing it here because this podcast episode will get taken down ASAP if I even played you four point five seconds of that fucking song. And but you have heard it. and like just just uh, we are so sure that you've heard it, and maybe you haven't listened to it critically, but I'm so sure that you've heard it because uh, Sam, for this for this episode, once again, we were talking about how difficult it is to really find any kind of like critical discussion about this band. But I actually was trying to figure out just how many commercials and like they have been in, and I, I didn't really find much. Um, other than like you know some vague numbers that don't really mean anything to me, but I did find on IMDb that they've that they're part of 136 soundtrack credits, which which That's so much which, thing. which which feels feel no yeah I mean I, and I did find also that in the last 30 days there's been over 14,000 airings of a Imagine Dragons song, which like once again it, it's a it's hard to tell how much that actually is. It seems like a whole heck of a lot, <laughs> and I think it is a whole heck of a lot. But yeah, um, you've definitely heard them, especially if you watch the National Football League. <laughs> you've definitely heard them. A lot of sin- <laughs> the, lot of the, sync the on National NFL. National Football League,
1: <laughs> often known as the NFL, yeah. but
0: <laughs> but like but uh, yeah, lot of lot of sync on NFL. I actually also AFL now, which is weird. But um, yeah, we've definitely heard it. But yeah, go ahead. Uh, pause this go listen to a song yeah, yeah. pause is. this
1: listen to the song because i do think it's like, interesting ah, yes, the, the, this one the, the, <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah ah, yes this one and it's a very distinctive sound and though they change the sound to a certain extent like it really was set as again it's weird like it's almost like a king without a country right like which is probably an imagine <laughs> dragon lyric um it's like there's there's a handful of these mega rock bands and then just like unclear what the rest of this genre is at this point so okay to get a little bit of a sense you've now either listened to radioactive or rejected our suggestion um there's also the the version of radioactive it's and this is another part we'll talk about later there's radioactive and then there's the version with radioactive with kendrick where kendrick just comes in and drops among the weakest bars ever put on record by anyone and it's always funny when kendrick is just cashing a check on a feature and you're like picks up
0: his twenty thousand dollar
1: bag and goes home no it's it's, they probably dropped it off it's (laughs) incredible because kendrick has the ability and has so many times shown up on tracks and just absolutely embarrassed the person whose track it ostensibly is right like it shows up runs the show and you're like oh that's the greatest rapper alive that's someone who's in the, you know, who, if you put him at number one in your top, all-time top five rappers, like, no one would be like, oh, no, Kendrick Lamar couldn't. And then, in, in this funny way, because he's so good, when he just wants the bag, and is almost like, I, it's not even like, I, I can't believe that Kendrick's capable of rapping that poorly. It's amazing. <laughs> it's like, like <laughs> I almost like feel like you, you would have to, the amount of control it takes, like, like, Lil Wayne, I do not think, can rap as poorly as Kendrick raps on the Radioactive remix, because I don't know if Lil Wayne has enough control over his creative process to put in that little effort. Like, Lil Wayne, like, gets there and goes off the top of the head, and what is off the top of Lil Wayne's head is often, it's not always the best rapping in the whole world, but it's, oft, it's always a really high quality, and that Kendrick versus like... <laughs>
0: It's incredible, Little bad. Wayne, who also collaborated with Imagine Dragons. <laughs> yes. Collaboration is probably a strong word. Probably sent them an email with an MP3 track of his takes, <laughs> <laughs> his opinions on
1: his opinions on many things. <laughs>
0: yeah. Peanut butter and jelly to be one of them. But um, yeah, let's, um, let's, let's uh, so let's, let's jump in. We kind of given you like a little framework here, but like, where do you want where do you want to start with uh, using Imagine Dragons as a springboard into uh, talking about? The uh, the 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 corpse of rock music. <laughs> yeah. So
1: so this is actually a strategy I learned um, uh, uh, from a long distant feature from the Onion AV Club of all things. There's this incredible year long column where one of their music critics. It was called the Year Without Music, and it was really amazing. Um, I, I was probably like it was probably 2003 or something, and basically this music critic. Instead of listening to the new music of 2003, went back and listened in alphabetical order to the entirety of their record collection, uh, deciding which things to review and which things to throw out, <laughs> and like which things just got skipped over. And like he was like, "I'm moving, and I've got all these records, and this is a crazy way to just like reevaluate." And then also at the end of the year, like listen to the whole year's worth of music which again, amazing, 2003, 2004, that was a conceivable possibility, right? He's like, oh, and then I'll listen to the the 50 best records of the year, which is like, now like there's, that's what, that's not possible. There's too many different lists and too many different genres. Um, And then he kind of had these mini essays on various things he listened to. And one of the records was, uh, I believe it was a 70s Everly Brothers record. Or Roy Orbison. It was like a I was a 50s rock person in the 70s. And um he called it shadowing, right? Which is basically this idea that sometimes if you want to understand what's happening in a, in a larger musical landscape, you don't picking the protagonists can make it hard to figure out what's going on, right? Like If you listen to Elton in that period of the 70s, you listen to Prince at a period in the 80s, you listen to a band that's changing things around them, it can be hard to figure out like what the general tenor of the music is. But if you listen to a band that's kind of following the trends, you could actually get a clear sense of what that that general landscape is precisely because of the ways they blend into it. And I felt that in this funny way that even though they were the center of rock music, listening through this imagine dragons discography kind of gave me the same kind of feeling in that like this was all these songs were kind of not middle of the road but like middle of the playlist like firmly fitting into the trends around them and then actually by listening through it was it it was like a, a a a remind it was like a history a reminder of stuff you'd hear on the radio but that you never like quite focused on which can actually be like hard to get get a get a feel for what what those is those pop music aesthetics that are really supported by the industry and are really widely listened to but often kind of don't especially in this like post-genre post-streaming moment don't clearly fit into the kinds of narrative structures maybe that we've brought forward from earlier moments in music criticism so with that kind of as a framing, and I didn't expect that to happen at all, but it very much was my experience. I actually want to start with the, their first three EPs, <laughs> um, which are kind of okay. They all have like the same cover. They, they clearly are a band, you know, with a, a high degree of like professionalism and like vision from, from fairly early. And it's interesting because Imagine Dragons, having listened to radioactive as a shared set of um experiences uh dear listener um they're a band that clearly plots a very specific trajectory through a set of aesthetic coordinates and links and in some ways that's their skill right is linking things together so that it can both be whatever imagine dragon's music is and more or less clearly related to their ongoing identity, but also can appear on a playlist next to this. Can appear on a playlist next to "Dark Horse" by Katy Perry, <laughs> featuring Juicy J. Can appear on a playlist next to Zedd uh, or dub. You know, the, the kind of crossover of dubstep or certain Taylor Swift songs. or Right, and their ability to make those connections. And so, the first three EPs are actually, I think, really revealing because they, 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 especially like one and two. Because they are the band doing the exact same thing, but with a totally different set of coordinates. These records come out uh, in 2009, 2010, and 2011, and they are very much in a way that, like, is probably important for the rest of the band's trajectory. These are this is clearly a rock band in 2009 to 2011, and it's interesting that that the 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 the, the styles that they're pulling from and developing in relation to are a totally different set of styles. So so you have some U2 killers stuff, right? This like kind of big like U2 as done by the Killers. Like how do you make how do you make how do you make arena rock? And Killers are from um uh, Las Vegas, which so like they share, you know, there was another band that just did this from this place. So there's that, but there's also like some of the New York like the the the, the pop-oriented version of, like, the New York dance rock sound floating around.
0: Like, it's, like, the, the... Yeah, which, like, the Killers had incorporated into the music as well, yeah. Sure, but, like, you know, like, it's, like... Like... A, like a more, like, anthemic, like, poppy, and this isn't New York, but, like, whatever, Franz Ferdinand vibe, you know, like, yeah, m- higher like... produced, like, multi tracks oh. like, more anthemic, but, like, kind of has that driving, like
1: or like or Shake like the blood, rapture
0: kind of the rapture via tv on the radio who i
1: actually think is like a um tv on the radio i actually think is a far more important band for the sound of quote unquote modern rock than they get any credit or, or blame for <laughs> um the way that these they took these like dance punk's innovations and made them like atmospheric and sound huge <laughs> and like a, those records those tv on the radio records like sound like They've used modern modern studio technology in a way that a Strokes record doesn't, and I think that that gave a lot of bands like a like if you take the Black Keys and TV on the Radio and the Killers and Coldplay, like you have this like melding of both indie sounds and sounds that have gone platinum, and like and you that's have early Imagine Dragons and and yeah, and and you have early Imagine Dragons like and there's like Coldplay slash Muse, which is its own like <laughs> reconstruction of Radiohead. <laughs> Right, so it's actually all these strands of modern rock music from the late 90s and early 2000s. And, yeah, no, it's interesting just to see, right, And which makes sense for a band on the rise, that you can't go directly to triangulating between all of rock and other genres. Like, you have to start off which by getting – Which they do later. And you have to start off by getting a clear, um, like, an audience. And, again, like, pulling, like, here's some really – here's some hipper stuff. Here's some um, ballads that are like you can get on the radio with. Here's some big guitar stadium sounds and able and watching them work their way through that. It's like a it's a uh, it's an approach that's clearly recognizable through the rest of their music. But again, because I think they're working on the smaller scale with an entirely different set of inputs into their like imagine dragon output machine
0: yeah yeah and and it was i think and i don't want to like jump ahead too much but i mean what's interesting is that what you see over the next like five to like i guess like seven years in the music industry is the decline of rock and then like by 2017 like i think is like the official year that hip-hop like overcomes rock as like the most played like genre like i don't know if it's like by streams or like on the radio but basically you just you know, they, you see this happen over the next like half decade of, 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 you see this happen in the music industry over the next like half decade. And like this is like also simultaneously with like Imagine Dragons is like on their like ascent. Right. 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 right.
1: I think that's exactly right. Yeah. And so the, the, the need for Imagine Dragons to not just pull from various rock signifiers, but to
0: start pulling from fundamentally different genres. Right. Um, Which they become. I mean, it's all. I don't know if it's them or like who's in their team, or I don't know who's writing the music. Maybe it's them. I don't know, but they become very adept at doing. <laughs> Incredibly yeah. adept at doing it. I mean, it's also interesting to think about
1: what those earlier versions tell you about how they go. Because one thing that Imagine Dragons have not done at all, ever, is go country, even a little bit. They go folky and, 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 and Mumford and Sons stomp, stomp, clap style strummed acoustic guitars are important to the sound, but like Avicii style folky, not country. And I think it's just interesting that like, that's part, I think, of their designation as rock and why they don't blend into this other clearly still thriving guitar-based music. I mean, and and we can talk about this more later, but it's one of the fascinating things is that that moment this this moment has also had the continued rise and expansion of country. And so it's not like there's an absence of guitar-based music that is hitting in large, you know, with guitar solos, with drummers, with with the traditional in many ways traditional rock instrumentation that's hitting in a big way it's just doing so in country music and i think it's very interesting the way that they really don't like there's no imagine imagine dragons featuring jid there's no
0: imagine dragons
1: featuring like sam hunt
0: yeah and that's that's also another part of this story that's happening outside the actual like the band imagine dragons that's happening like in the music industry is that you're seeing this rise of country but you see this rise of country starting to fill the void of rock which is on the decline and i think that rock and the thing about i and we could bring this up later but the the thing that i find interesting about imagine dragons being called a rock band is that like in a lot of ways they don't fulfill these sort of like stereotypes of like what we consider maybe more of like a classic yeah. rock band where like they're not like party fun it's not like these like heartbreak ballads it's not like it it's not like a bad boys and like in a weird way like there's not like a story behind a lot of their songs like it's not like an actual story like a bruce springsteen is like a song it's like a story right. and so in a way like because you don't have that sort of these sort of stylistic elements anymore but country does and so not only does country have like the same sort of instrumentation but country has like the bad boys or like the party anthem or like you know i'm like you know the chasing the girl classic song or and coupled with the sort of classic instrumentation they have like their bad boys like morgan wallen's a bad boy you know they have like their good boys you know like things like that it's like it you know and and so i think that in a weird way, it's it's you, you while while Imagine Dragons is like becoming the biggest rock band of the of the millennial generation, you hear like country starting to kind of fulfill the, not only this like cultural and like stylistic aspects that like is missing now in the sort of musical ecosphere with like the decline of rock, which I think is also kind of interesting because it's not like it's right. not like like we can get into this later, but I mean like the the guys of like Imagine Dragons are pretty like generic like. Ken coming out of a box type dudes they seem like decent fine fellows they're like totally well they're like offensive uh, the, <laughs> like, the lead singers kind of an, and songwriter is is kind of
1: an ex-mormon and and or uh has a complicated was raised mormon has a complicated relationship with that faith and i do think that like this is also a, another part of what makes them modern rock in this funny way is they are not a christian rock band but there's a lot of Christian themes running through this music. There's a lot of saints and singers and kingdoms coming and walking alone. And, and like this very like uh, evangelical or Protestant imagery running through like modern Protestantism imagery running through these songs. And what was interesting, what you're saying about like the rock, audience like what are the 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 aesthetic expectations of rock music that are not being fulfilled because in some ways this is a band that when i'm thinking about what aesthetic expectations are filling in in a lyrical sense again which are very kind of personal doubt pain triumph stories they have a couple songs that are like more pop and fun-filled but this is very Almost all of this song, all of these songs, are about an individual kind of walking alone through a world and suffused with self-doubt. There's very little uh,
0: interpersonal interaction in a lot of these songs. Almost you took none. this straight out of my notes. It's 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 a it's a narrative of salvation of the self. Which like, you know, actually, yeah. I think like, you know, I, and I don't know why, but I think it, maybe you have a theory on why, but it does fly closely. And I don't say this negatively. I just say this like critically, like it flies close to like our current con- our cultural obsession with like therapy and a kind of correction of some sort of damage or trauma that makes hmm. us a slightly broken people. And you hear this in their lyrics, I'll bet vaguely about like having demons and being radioactive, but it's kind of coupled with this like anthemic overcoming stadium chorus sound which I which I find like very much like part of their formula and like what probably is if you're looking for something that resonates to like billions of listens of people then like I feel like maybe there's something there but like I don't really understand why (laughs) other than like no absolutely (laughs) (laughs) no no I,
1: I I think you're I think you're totally right I think that 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 not not always but a lot of it it's kind of like a individual and self-doubt but overcoming not so much like through the catharsis of a yeah. really big sound yeah. and what's interesting there though is in terms of the the eye focus is and, and the history of rock music is i do see lyrically though not really sonically this being closely related to the last time that rock music had real mainstream appeal which is the kind of new metal era and those mm, are songs yeah, I, I would yes, argue that same same vibe those bands yeah well except except that those were a lot of songs about and maybe they take lincoln park as like the, the 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 um certainly the commercial standard standard bearer of that genre intense crippling self-doubt and anxiety and examination That's not overcome um but but that is sadly not overcome but also that that's often then projected outwards against another person, right. usually a romantic partner. And so that is really angry music. And that's one of the reasons why, like, it gets really angry music. And I think that it was perceived, though, in my experience as a teenager in the early 2000s, like not consumed this way. But I think it was perceived and it has been perceived um it was perceived at the time and has been perceived in the years since as kind of very angry masculine music. Like this is maybe like the Lepiskot of it all. Like this is guys breaking well, the, stuff.
0: And which, well, I mean, Libisca was fun, but like maybe more like the, like the stained the kind of type of, of stained. Band, you know, I mean, like Lincoln it's been Park a while, too. Lincoln like, Park is and angry Park too. Yeah, against it. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, for the sure. The partner
1: like there's a lot of you did stuff to me, um, yeah. in Lincoln Park, and so I mean, one way you could describe Imagine Dragons kind of I think like aesthetic is
0: a lot of the doubt but almost none of the anger yeah 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 or, the, or like Which, instead of like the, the the blaming of outwards it's like more of like a like an internal like something oh it's yeah. like an
1: existential crisis yeah. it's
0: angels and demons all the
1: way um completely and that i mean that makes a lot of sense for um i, I could imagine a lot of people in like post post 08 america
0: especially like post-recession America. And yeah, I would even say just that not to, not to go too far on this, but I would even say like, if you're looking at like their covers, their covers also like have like a, a, an aesthetic nod towards that sort of era of like, especially Linkin Park. I mean, the text almost the text of their name almost looks exactly the same, but then also the, all those sort of like new metal bands where it's like, the new metal bands are maybe like kind of dark and creepy and like a little cold and like metal, you know, like like actual, the actual mm-hmm. material of metal, like kind of looking yeah <laughs> and like and like but like and imagine dragons is like it's like still kind of muted and dark and like weird but it's like with a slightly like uplifting tone to it you know it's a little bit more color you know it's like yeah it's also they're all they're all heavily post banksy yeah for sure for sure for sure yeah that's an interesting um, yeah that's interesting that's an interesting so like, yeah. so
1: and so in, in some ways i think that, that that maybe allows them to have a broader fan base and any yeah. e- even lincoln park right that there's not this anger um and it's not the other thing is that things change so it's they're they're relating to rap but there are other important sounds that they are relating to um by the time that they really emerge and i think that a, a critical part of their story is that by the time that they have their first full-fledged album which is 2012's night visions the musical landscape has changed and what's happened and is really just starting to happen and, and in fact thinking about the traject like the, the time of this like they're fairly early on all this stuff is the rise of edm and the rise of electronic music as a major sector in the experience and the aesthetic aesthetic experiences of i think what, what would have previously been rock's major art audiences right this is the moment of bro step this is the moment of like skrillex mach one and edm does a couple of different things uh one it allows for the first time and then like post dubstep edm for one it allows for the first time dance music to be big and aggressive the way that rock had often been right this idea like it's like house music isn't fight music <laughs> but some dubstep is
0: and i think that that was really important yeah i was thinking skrillex too when you like when you when you yeah i was it's funny before the recording this pod i was thinking like there is definitely like this like dubstep skrillex sort of influence as well that and i I didn't think about how yeah historically like that was coming up as well at the same time yeah yeah right you know
1: dubstep is the first kind of dance music i think that like your tradition like your platonic ideal frat boy was into yeah um (laughs) But at the same time, (laughs) but at the same time, I think that also dance music has this tradition of emotiveness Mm -hmm. in like, like the long, like if you think about like the, the house vocal, like gospel music into house vocals into the rest of dance music. And so again, I think there's a way that dance music can have and has a space for this kind of. A um, um, uh, raw display of emotionality that again fits well with, uh, with this moment. <laughs> and then finally, the other thing that happens in this period of time is um, and was kind of a fascinating like rock trajectory of its own in relationship to the changing sound of pop music, right? Because it's so, or it's 2012, rap is ascendant. This is a moment where pop is increasingly turning towards rap high high point or about to be the high point of bro country so that's like country with guitars and guitar solos on like cutting off one of rock's flanks and one of i think the rock mainstream's major reactions to that um is uh like the stomp stomp clap bands which is a which is a technical term technical term for those acts it's the stomp stomp clap bands we're talking mumford and also his sons right which in some ways allows you to be and and i think crucially it's the way those songs are recorded is it's a big driving four on the floor beat and it's a connection that um avicii actually like made explicit in some of those later period tracks where it's like this weird <laughs> weird swedish take on country music um which honestly i think goes like <laughs> those avicii <laughs> tracks are really good r.i.p. avicii um, yeah and i think those tracks were really really good and and again i think are part of like in the general all of this stuff is in the general air and then what you get is imagine dragons and what they're able to do on that album is on one side you've got songs like radioactive um where they are uh like just massive massive (laughs) like head nodding almost dubstep Plotting, but like the, the kind of t- halftime plot like the halftime headbanging of dubstep with some of the like production sounds and, and i think importing that rhythm and importing that vibe and importing that like set of palette like the, the the sonic palette a little bit of electronic music allowed them to make something that's kind of rock music but is able to speak to that general sense of what's happening and then uh, on the other hand you've got songs like demons um that are Really, like, classic post-cold play ballads that, that, that kind of takes that, that, that like, a, a, like how to save a life vibe. It's a how to save a life type beat. Uh, <laughs> Truly. And, just, and, 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 and by doing both of those things, they have, like, a massive hit album. There's one more crucial piece of this, which is the Eminem of it all. Because I think one of the people who invented this sonic blueprint for how you do, like, rap and rock together is Eminem on those handful of tracks that he produced with Rihanna. Like, Love the Way You Lie is, like, crucial for the existence of Imagine the Dragons. And then, in, 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 a, in a delightful piece of a hunch being right, do you know who produced Radioactive? Alex Kid. Do you know who produced love the way you lie alex the kid and you're like oh okay cool this is why this is why it sounds (laughs) like love the way you lie this is why it has the same kind of beat that's kind of rock and kind of rap and kind of edm and man and manages to, to draw that line through and reconstitute a like the the fragmented rock audience of people who would be listening to rock if there was rock to be listening to but no one can do it as good as imagine dragons
0: So, so maybe sparing the audience a detailed analysis of every single album after that. Essentially, maybe would it be fair to say to just sort of like that they continue to basically do this do exactly, exactly that. that while incorporating various other forms and genres that are being popularized over the next like 10 to 12 years minus country. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think, think they've that done a like, over song, the next,
1: <laughs> over the next, and, and you know what? And I actually think that that's also a strength. Like, so they basically change nothing. Right. About that kind of general, general take because some, some ballad is them some yeah because <laughs> yeah. that rock is them some radioactive some ballads the, the only the only thing that changes is that um as i think pop music gets more facility with rap um and you start having pop songs where you flow effectively where where the, where the vocalist kind of flows he starts doing that and is actually pretty good at it so like that's the only change they they incorporate slightly different shades of EDM they like the, he like has kind of more Tongue-twisty lyrics, ish, and then it's exactly the same. Which is actually, I think, in like the like the dog that didn't bark. Like what you just said about them not trying a reggaeton song is really interesting because it's not just that their hit songs all sound kind of the same, like like uh, as like a oh uh, well, they all sound kind of the same, but also like there's a clear trajectory there. But it's not like the like the those are the ones that hit. And they tried other stuff and it just didn't go anywhere. It's that they try, like, there's some weirder songs on this these records and there's some, like, more poppy stuff. And it's clearly, like, things that either they wanted to put out or that fulfilled a desire from a certain segment of their audience. But, like, you're right. They didn't make a reggaeton song. They never go do a full dance pop song, right? In fact, they're really good. And this is a, a remarkable strength for a band that in some way at, is as calculated and intentional as Imagine Dragons that they like they don't in a way that like late period coldplay is just like oh we made a song with a chain smokers that is just a chain smoker song and really isn't coldplay or, we made a song with bts that's just like a beat right like it's really not is really not like doesn't sound like oh the band <laughs> and you know honestly like the coldplay song coldplay chain smoker song <laughs> has kind of grown on me because Chainsmokers have a way with a pop hook, but, like, it really is not a good (laughs) song. Um, Also, Ulysses and His Gold. Side note, Ulysses doesn't have gold. That Like, if you're going to reference Greek mythology, geez, do, like, a a shred of research. Ulysses and His Gold. There's no... That's not a thing. Anyway. um, No, but, right, like, the sense of, like, knowing themselves, knowing their audience, and not doing weird stuff is actually very impressive because i think there's probably a lot especially when there's moments when like some albums do less well than others i'm sure there are moments where they're like you know bad bunny would be great on this song and they're like that won't that's not a good idea
0: well actually actually what's yeah it's it's exactly what i said it's because they are rock and it's like it's like the it's not like there's anything really changing within the genre and like whatever they're they're dictating it they are rock and it's like, now they've had their lane. This is what people, you know, okay, a couple things. Cause I was trying to do research here. I didn't know it was impossible, right? Like, but one of the things I did was I went on X, Twitter, whatever. And like, I was looking through like 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 tweets and like, it was just a lot of people being like my favorite bands. And it'd be like Led Zeppelin, uh, the Beatles, uh, like ACDC, like all these classic rock bands. And then slotted right between would be like Imagine Dragons. And you're like, what? And it's because it's like it kind of goes like what we're saying like they're just like the only rock band in town really if you're go you know and, well it's them also, and, and but Twenty One Pilots right 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 but like so I think that's also kind of like a like an interesting thing of why they've made remained consistent because it's like they don't they they don't they don't have to there's no incentive to change they're continuing you know like and, and unless you start seeing their streams or their albums start to like you know taper off and like whatever like another style of like quote unquote rock music if we even can define them as that start to like rise and become more popular like what's the incentive like they have their lane they dictate it they're the most popular band in the world and so why change no and they're they're double they're double album
1: they're double and like it is it is impossible like impossible to overstate how many streams this band has and this is was crazy like i sort of expected them to have a number of 160 billion is what i said you know but but like but like but if you look at the breakdown of the songs on the album i expected it to be the big hits had a huge number because they're being playlisted because they're being um pushed on various formats and then an inc- a, a really significant drop off but like everything is over a hundred million plays on these albums. Every yeah, single no, it's, song it's on a, on a two CD double album right. released over a decade into the band being.
0: Yeah. For exist- some, for, like I, one of the tweets I saw was like a congratulations to like one of their, like the latest song of theirs that reached a billion plays. And it's like, I was looking at their Spotify, looking at, like other songs and there's like a there's like about two or three other songs that are going to hit a billion pretty soon here as well (laughs) it's like it's it's remarkably yeah um impressive just how popular and how like sustained popularity this band has
1: so let's let's maybe talk about like why how they're able to do that because i do think that at the same time as so one of one of the things is like how do they stay so popular is that and maybe this is because they have this pole position that you're describing in the rock landscape, mm-hmm. and maybe it's because they're really canny or maybe and, and I think probably both is like the their relationship, their ability to like do collaborations with people that keep them in the public eye in all kinds of ways has really I think helped sustain their career. Like no, no, absolutely, no, no. Not. no absolutely not, no,
0: absolutely don't, no, that's wrong. Timeout, no, I don't think that's right. I think this is a result of their success i think i think uh we'll like slide into the last 10 minutes here maybe discussing and trying to theorize like how they're able to do this and like one idea i have i think is because of this this sort of thing i've been hinting at which is this sort of unoffensiveness and i don't want to say generic because i think that actually it's quite impressive the way that they do what they do they do what they do well i'm sure they have a lot of help but i think it is actually rather impressive and like as you said they've their sustained success has been from like basically them not really changing and veering from the formula which is which is even just as like right anybody doing anything in their life like there is a desire to like want to change things up <laughs> and and they're good at not doing that as as you were illustrated with like cold play right but what the thing i find so funny about them is that they and maybe going back to my point earlier in the um in the show is this sort of like they seem to also and people could argue with me about this but they seem to also be in step with this sort of ongoing sort of sanitizing of so much culture at the expense of like excess or risk like you can see this in hollywood where like there's so much is either remake undoubtedly updated for today's predilections and contemporary like moral norms woven into some sort of like lesson or modern parable that shucks off any kind of ambiguity you know in place of like a Easily definable dichotomy like a good bad, you know like right or wrong right and like they just they're kind of vague whatever. Yeah, so th- it, There's there's nothing offensive about them And so like they're you know, they're not gonna have like any kind of scandal There's nothing offensive about them. The music is lyrically vague enough with like an uplifting sort of moral Or overcoming sort of like like result of like you're, you know, you're overcoming your demons you're doing this and so what I'm the, the point I'm trying to make is is that they fit very easily into soundtracks and car commercials and the nfl and soundtracking the women's world cup in 2015 and these things where it's like no League of legends legal legends like there's nothing about their music that is gonna cause anybody to be like offended <laughs> other than like maybe and I, and i think that's kind of interesting about them and i don't know if that's part of it but it's like they're, they have a they're successful they're recognizable there's an uplifting head nodding as you illustrated like sort of sound and then like lyrically it's all about this sort of what we said earlier this sort of like salvation of the self overcoming something right and so like you it just easily slots into everything from a women's World Cup to a Jeep commercial <laughs> and it's like there's also something genius about that, and I don't know if that's recreatable. But they've found that, and it just is in step with culture, and maybe in some way even kind of like influencing culture. And but it's in step with Marvel movies, NFL, whatever, just slotted in, you know. And it just works like really, really well. And I think that and that creates a sort of um, a cycle where it's like now people want that in there to represent them with their brand. So like the Women's World Cup or League of Legends or like a Jeep commercial, they like pull for that. And like, I don't think that's, necessarily, it's, it's weird. It's just been this sort of cyclone that I think also helps sustain their popularity. Is it like, we know what we're getting. I think that's yeah. really, I think that's a really acute reading.
1: Um, will see so what you're saying kind of is, is like, it's like, this is like a perfect distillation of like vaguely Christian rise and grind culture. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. Neoliberal, neoliberal, individual, effort-based the self as entrepreneur but like a spirit but like not just an entrepreneur in a business sense but like a spiritual entrepreneur it does actually cuz it fits i don't know if you got to see um in in 2014 they do the theme song for the league of legends world championship cup which is like huge that is an enormous they that thing like sells out madison square right. garden for right. a week live to watch people play that game and the video is really interesting Because it's – and they've done it – they've done two of them, one themselves and one with J.I.D., both of which have over – yeah, I think both of which are some of their Billion Mm -hmm. Play songs. Um, But, but, like, the video for that is this perfect – it's, like, this guy – like, an animated character loses in cyberspace and, like, gets back up and, like, cracks his knuckles and shakes off defeat and then, like, gets right back onto the computer – To like, then gets like zooped into the sky, superhero. But like, it's like gets back onto the computer, and it's like this sense of like defeated, but like getting back up.
0: Right, and it's It's all about getting back up. It's all this self salvation of the self. It really is. It's like the whole thing, you know. And and like you know, going on top of what you're saying, if if you read quotes from the lead singer Dan Reynolds and these guys, it's the same. Like I mentioned, you know. Tongue in cheek about being like a you know kind of milk toast like Mormon reformed Mormon, but this is actually something that has been brought up in interviews with him, and he literally says like, I was a Mormon, I'm I raised my kids spiritually. So he's like not Mormon anymore. He says he was a Mormon and then he raises his kids spiritually. This sort of which also fits well with this sort of culture. He also
1: and a big a big part of that is actually a really dope thing he does is this huge he does a lot of fundraising for like LGBTQ plus kids and like youth support, which I think is one of the big sticking points between like I think he's gestured towards this carefully in interviews that like that's one of the major right. like belief differences that separate him from the church he was raised in and like i like a lot of anyone who's like a major rock star raising a lot of money for
0: good causes is like i and i believe he's probably a a good guy like this is not regardless the point is it's unoffensive he's unoffensive and like even the way he looks he's like he looks like somebody who takes care of himself he has like an eight pack he has like a like a sh- like a haircut. He just he embodies like the modern. That's a haircut. Cont- no, like a, like one of those like sh- you know typical haircuts that you see that like em- tight fade. Yeah, yeah. That, that tight fade that embody like the, you know I say this critical you know kind of tongue in cheek as well, but like embodies this sort of fresh out of the box like Ken type character for like a contemporary culture, and like and who are the other guys? Who fucking knows? But they're like they all look kind of like on some version of that, you know. And it's this like it's just it's like i think it it really is it's just its it's like it fits it weaves so well into like the contemporary liberal neoliberal democratic voting sort of culture and it's it, it so that that's
1: interesting i would not say it's
0: just like no, i it's would not. bet you you're right you're right yeah go ahead yeah i would bet you
1: that that imagine dragons fandom cuts across a lot of political divides in this no, country. But I, I do think you're you're right that like Well they're like apolitical and, maybe, and that's why
0: they do it. Because it's just this like it's just this narrative of like it's anthemic, it's head bopping, it's like unoffensive lyrics. You're never gonna hear them talking about anything specifically politically or socially politically in their in their lyrics. It's and no and it you could be you and could it's complicated, be complicated. Uh, you could be like grieved rural Trump supporter or you could be like um uh you know an uh, urban mm, you know, non-binary, like support. high schooler, or yeah, agree, <laughs> Bernie and like you could still listen to that song because it's just about overcoming your demons. Well, what are the demons? It's up to you to fill that in, fill that gap. Well, I mean, it's also I think then you know thinking about this them them as a perfect
1: band that's like really indicative of this moment is that at some level the you know the sense of like being ground down and having things that you need to overcome and the extent to which that's really widespread in American society, especially over the decades sure. and decade in which they became such an imp- became became major band. Yeah. <laughs> in the, in the decade, but in which, in which really that, yeah, this idea that like, they're not addressing problems in some ways, it's like therapeutic music, but at the same time, like I have a hard time criticizing that. Cause it's like, it, you know, Saying like you can't, like I'm sorry, you're having a hard time with the power of this chorus. We can get through it together. Is not like, at some level, like that's what music's supposed to be about, like yeah, to do. Yeah, it's like, and, supposed to help and support you. And every, everything it doesn't right. doesn't offer so. Imagine dragons we've we've come to doesn't offer a solution <laughs> right no and, and like and no
0: actually i completely agree with you and i think this is a good place maybe to sort of like slide into like the the end of this episode is that like i completely agree with you i say all that and as anybody who's listened to this show or even a couple of episodes knows like i obviously have my own personal critical opinions about that culture which i just described in which like imagine dragon so easily fits into and maybe even like influences but I agree with you in the sense that, like, I don't necessarily have a problem with that or think it's, like, anything necessarily to criticize. If it makes people feel good and uplifting and forget the ills of their day, then fuck it. I don't care who's listening to it and more power to yeah. them. You know, more power yeah. to them, you know? And you're right. It's exactly as you said. I mean, if that that's kind of the point of music. And I may, I admit when you want to do this episode, you been wanting to do this episode for a while, I've, like, been, like, I don't really understand, like, why this band is so popular but actually like now i completely do way more than i understand other artists that we've talked about like drake or taylor swift like you know like this band seems to kind of make sense at least for like our current cultural moment for sure and with a huge audience
1: that isn't necessarily being served in the way that i think it once was right like there used to be like let's just say vaguely right like there's like a whole like that the audience for rock music used to be predominantly though not exclusively ever like white 14 to 25 year old men. we could say 35 but sure yeah 35 sure, 35 right but like but that and that there used to be a ton of music that targeted those listeners in a very particular set of ways and there's a lot of music that still does and cut there's a lot of ways to cut that like angsty masculine kick but but like the the, the 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 kind of like listening that is you know filtered in a very different way through like i don't know Guns N Roses or Soundgarden which is both about being like like uh like a masculine energy intensity but also self-doubting in certain ways it, you know in in a very particular way that that huge and, you, and people are still listening to those older bands that are doing that. But there just aren't that many newer bands that fulfill that set of, um, I guess, traditional aesthetic desires that have had this long history in music over the last 40 years. Um, and maybe that's actually thinking about the relationship between Imagine Dragons and those older bands. is a, a nice way to start tying up the episode because there's this question of, like, where does this leave rock music And I think it's kind of interesting because I do think that if you look at listenership, um, we we talk a lot on the show about the ways in which temporality and changing forms of temporality have shifted styles of musical consumption and often often in relationship to, to new technological developments. But one thing we don't talk about really ever, I think, is the way that some of those shifts can happen without new technological developments. So I'm thinking in particular about what the continued stranglehold of classic rock radio has done to rock music (laughs) because in some ways there used to be a lot of modern rock stations those kind of collapsed when they went new metal and then there wasn't like an aesthetically viable thing for them to be playing for like a decade there was a lot of indie but those were already being covered by college stations there was old music but there wasn't this mainstream that imagine dragons as we've said fulfills so well and those, those, so those stations closed, or or so, or they think, became
0: like quote unquote just rock stations, but they stop unofficially at like in like two thousand six. Like, I don't think about anybody who's from right. LA, KLOS ninety five point five, which was always doing modern rock, and now they're just a rock station. I don't think they say classic rock, or they if they do say classic rock, they play music up to two thousand six, and then they don't play anything after. Yeah. So what's interesting, I think,
1: is that in a way that I don't know if it's true in other genres. Current rock bands are competing against the rock bands from the 60s and 70s and 80s in a way that I don't think, right? You're kind of competing. Modern rappers are kind of competing against the last two decades of rap music, but not in the same way, It's just not true with country because the sound has changed so much almost by that with pop a little bit more now pop radio has gotten more atemporal than it used to because so modern pop bands are still competing with the backstreet boys um and and you know and (laughs) good luck Uh, (laughs) but uh but i still think there's you know clear like that that mechanism and and the, the idea that it has to be new to be pop has has changed but i do think that if you look at like tours right which is another major indicator of where the music business is at there's a lot of old rock bands raking in a lot of money and a lot of these older rock bands don't have newer challengers (laughs) some of which i I think is accidents of history in that relatively few of the big bands of the 90s survived in ways that could continue to had a relatively short reign at the top and never quite turned into aerosmith which is like what you'd want right To be able to be touring forever. You want two decades of hits and then endless tours and they all had three hits and then their singer died or they or they like pulled away from stardom the way that Pearl Jam did and stopped having hits. And so Pearl Jam has like three albums of hits and not two decades of hits. Some of this is like changing listening habits. Is that you start in the '90s having frat, people started listening to rap and country in different ways in the post-Scan sound era? All kinds of reasons, but I think that in this in the upper echelons of rock, you do have newer acts being having to compete with Paul McCartney still.
0: Yeah, I'm trying. And to that's think. tough.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the, and yeah. so what I do think you get is this funny bifurcation, and this is maybe where like we can circle back all the way to the beginning to think about the like total lack of critical discussion of imagine dragons. Cause it's not just imagine dragons. It's a total lack of critical discussion of any of the major rock bands of this era. Like no discussion of 21 pilots who also have a lot of major hits, who I actually think are musically interesting. 21 pilots are doing kind of cool stuff, but like there's no discussion of them at all. And I do think that actually, you know, there's a lot of, you know, question and we, we, you know, in previous episodes about Pitchfork, about like what's the role of music criticism in contemporary, you know, listening habits. But I think that without any of that intellectual apparatus attached to mainstream rock with the total split between rock that gets written about a lot and rock that huge number of like truly huge number of people listen to. What you get is that this younger generation of bands in the kind of the bubbling ecosystem that turns up bands kind of focusing on a the attention that they can get, which tends to be from that critical space and those critical listeners um, and also just for like reasons of cultural capital. So what you get is a ton of bands playing Brooklyn Steel, which is great, right? It's like, a don't know three thousand cap five thousand cap four,
0: three, five, right yeah.
1: and sure you can play Brooklyn Steel for a week but like that's not Madison Square Garden and even if you can do Madison Square Garden you can't do it that much and in order to like create that 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 functional genre ecosystem that goes not just from the the, the upper tier indie but like that middle set of stars you, you need a way to you need a way to connect those. And so I do think that this really interesting way is like some of the missing connection you can see in the fact that no one's writing about imagined dragons. How could you make another imagined dragons? But like, if you want music, a genre to function,
0: you need to do, you need to make more. Yeah. It's interesting. First of all, we were like way off on Brooklyn steel. I just looked it up. 1800. Surprising. Feels like more. Wow. Feels like more, right? Yeah. It does does feel like more. It's really hard for me to like ever uh, like, clock like just by visuals like the capacity i'm always like oh like five thousand it's like 1800 but anyways just just going um maybe just to wrap up like i just i can't help but also think though about this like a temporality thing and and also just about how we kind of also mentioned all like the top 50 um albums of the year from like all the actual remaining (laughs) music publications were like all over the place and everything's just so fractured now how like maybe it's just like this sort of deconstruction of music into like servicing a very like sort of like niche parts of each of our of, of the population and like they magic dragon serves a sort of like late 20s mid middle age like white guy thing just as like taylor swift maybe serves more like you know a certain age of a certain demographic of like a majority of like maybe like white women and and things like that and i mean there's still artists that can kind of bridge those gaps like like i think or like you know uh those demographics like drake or somebody but like yeah maybe it's just also has something to do with that as well like that's kind of contributing to it
1: i I think that's right and i think that like the yeah the 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 kind of splintering of genres into like demographics and playlists but at the same time i do think that (laughs) as much as genres are clearly like co-creations of the music industry used to structure used to keep people out used to keep people in there are also ways of like organizing sets of musical traditions they're not the only way but i do think that they're like often you they're useful to think about as a stand-in for those kinds of musical traditions and there is a question of like if no one's working in a tradition because there's no structures designed to like support that tradition like it it goes away and it's interesting to think about like what happened and maybe it just goes away. Like, right, there was a period of time when there was a mainstream of jazz that a lot of people listened to, and it lasts into the seventies, well into the seventies, and kind of like where people who are doing quote unquote like cool jazz are really racking up albums still, but the intellectual apparatus declines and they kind of splinters off, and then mm, there's a couple of handful of people left, and then there's a thriving ecosystem of jazz that continues for a really long time to the present day is doing great but it's no longer like it loses that mainstream part of like that whole appendage and i do wonder if like given how far away (laughs) imagine dragons feel from boy genius right maybe what the the versions that rock just like loot of someday because imagine dragons will someday break up probably um you just lose that entire true upper level appendage and then everything else is like an almost probably an order of magnitude smaller and then rock continues as where like it's as pitch as
0: pitchfork fest
1: but like not as headlining glastonbury it kind of
0: indie rock to fight or whatever yeah yeah interesting yeah no more oasis's yeah um, away sigh? i don't know away sigh, yeah, um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, brothers gallagher well, well there you have it you have your first ever uh critical take of imagine dragons uh we we hope you enjoyed that and um can now take this information to your local bar and uh have a few shots and a few beers and go on a rampage about how actually imagine dragons are really underappreciated um, <laughs> <laughs> um we're sorry thanks for listening we'll be back soon music by bird language well, i'm not sorry i'm not sorry i think this needed to be done i feel sorry for you for the dedication you put into this 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 podcast where you listen to the entire i hope you did it with headphones oh wow okay okay shout out to shauna uh, and on that We'll see you soon. Bye.